You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Ich glaube schon, dass er einfach wirklich tiefer sieht in die Seele rein, wie, wie die meisten. Die portrays accurately certain dark areas. This is coming from someplace else. And Giger is you know, just the guy that this other world is kind of introducing themselves to us. Er fühlt sich im Unheimlichen zu Hause. Das, was wir alle fliehen, ist sein Zuhause. Es ist alles anders mit dem Normalen. Das ist, was ich Hans Röhli, der Visionary. zurückzukehren, aber es ist am selten möglich, die wenigsten Leute getraut sich, ihre Träume zu erzählen oder irgendwie darzustellen. Ich denke immer wieder, wenn ich das Bild dem Vater oder der Mutter zeige, die verschrecken ja zu Tod. Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White, and joining me, of course, is Mr. Rob St. Mary. Hello, sir. This week, we are doing a little bit of a special episode here on Dark Star, H.R. Giger's World, a fairly new documentary. It's just been playing the circuit of festivals lately, and it is opening over here in the U.S. in a little bit here, opening up in May. Let me say that again. Opening up on May 15th in the United States, and we just wanted to talk a little bit about this uh, nice little documentary about one of, I feel, our greatest artists who sadly passed away last year. And to me, this is the perfect double feature to Jodorowsky's Dune, because Giger, of course, is in Jodorowsky's Dune, and he talks about working with Jodorowsky and developing some of the stuff that um, he was going to do for that film that was never made. And then it obviously got pushed on to other places such as Alien and, and other designs going forward. And it's just – it's an interesting film to watch because we get to know him a little bit more. The one thing that I, I was a little interested in with him uh, – and, and you get to know sort of him and his wife – and his mother-in-law and his assistants who help him is um, I, I, I was kind of wondering if at this point in his life, if he was in a lot of pain because he doesn't seem to smile a lot. He's kind of moving slow at times and uh, doesn't seem all that happy of a guy. But when they have the archive footage in there, it, it's a little bit of a mix. You get the idea that maybe he's a little more content in his youth. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out if, if he's always been a little bit depressive or if it's just being in pain because this was made, I, I think it was wrapped, what, six months, uh, eight months before he died. Yeah, the director, Belinda Salen, was still doing work with him 
up until I think five days before he died as far as the, uh, like doing photo shoots and that kind of stuff. So we'll hear from her in a little bit here and, uh, hear a little bit more about the last few months that he had. It was kind of sad. Like we went to see Hodorowski's Dune, Andrea and I, and listening to Giger talk, uh, he had a real hard time getting the words out. And as he's kind of gasping for breath and all this, after we watched the film, Andrea said to me, you know, it seems like that guy had congestive heart failure. It doesn't sound like he's doing real well. And then I think it was just like a month or two later that I read that he had passed. And it was just like, yep, he definitely wasn't in the greatest health in those last, I guess, year or so of his life. So it's kind of a shame. And especially, I don't know if I'm sure that if you said, okay, HR Giger, what has he done? Maybe you're going to get like what one out of 10 folks, unless they're really super film savvy that know that he was the guy who designed alien and then going beyond that. Good luck. There are certain things that he's done depending on what music you're into. And that's one of the things that's in here as well is, I remember when I was a kid and I wasn't a big prog rock fan, but he did the album cover for Emerson Lake and Palmer's brain salad surgery. And I remember that album cover because it's very, I mean, his style is very distinct. And that's one of the things that's interesting in this documentary is we learn how he does what he does. And a lot of the stuff that he does is totally freehand. He doesn't sketch things out. He doesn't draw things out and then make it. They actually show him with the airbrush painting on the canvas and just doing it. And it just all comes out of his head. And he's often been labeled as a surrealist, which to me is interesting because when I think surrealism, I I, want to like, to me, surrealism and absurdist ideas seem to mesh more. And to me, his stuff is far too serious to be surrealist in in my mind. Um, Although I can see it being the darker end of surrealism, because when you look at Dali's work, who people would say, okay, that, that would be the epitome of mainstream surrealist painting. It's very bright. It's outlandish. It's melting clocks. It's, you know, a, it's a tiger and a bee and all of this stuff jumping out of an orange and, and all of this stuff, you know, giant Christ like floating and, you know, it's like, all it, it's, it's brighter. Like, like Dolly's work is much brighter than, than Giger's vision. I mean, Giger basically lives in the land of, of shadows and, and black. Yeah, to see color in his work is something remarkable. I mean, you'll see some like darker or um, just some like hues of green or blue, but so much of his world is just black and white or black over white and just it, just absolutely gorgeous stuff, though, man. And just as a little bit of an aside, whenever I hear uh, Emerson Lake and Palmer's brain salad surgery, I always get that confused with, uh, for some reason, I get that confused with the two albums by Spinal Tap, Brain Hammer and Shark Sandwich for some reason. So <laughs> I always think that that's a fake album name for a Spinal Tap album, but it's not. It's a real thing. Yeah, it's a real thing. The The thing that's interesting in this documentary is we get the background of him and how his one girlfriend who is an actress in in that was his muse and he used her facial features and all of this stuff in his early work. And you can see it through 
you know, that Emerson Lake and Palmer album cover, um, in certain parts of the alien stuff. And she tragically, um, is no longer with us. So th- there's all of this stuff and I, I don't want to ruin it because there's some, so some amazing things in here. But the other thing that was also kind of a revelation to me, and I have a friend of mine named, uh, named Mark who listens to the show, Mark Rudolph, who is a, a Detroit area cartoonist and, um, illustrator. And he's done two books so far focusing on things he's really into in terms of music. One was he did a a whole book that was a tribute to King Diamond and Merciful Fate. And he also did recently a book on Celtic Frost. And the fact that the lead singer of Celtic Frost became Giger's assistant and is in the film and talks about Giger and and how his visuals were important to him and and the music and helped to develop that and then he became the assistant of him and and learned all of this stuff and and really appreciates his work and had such a profound effect on him is is quite is quite interesting and quite good to you know to to sort of see those connections. Yeah, there are moments in this documentary. It's funny because this isn't a standard documentary that we are used to seeing these days where it is very much the, you know, in 1949 this happened and in this year this yeah, happened. Yeah, like and just, timeline. Yeah, just yeah, here's oh, your yeah. timeline and fill in the pieces, yeah. Right, or uh, you know, there is an event that is going to happen, and then throughout the preparation for the event, we are going to put in these pieces of what has led up to this event. You know, it's not like this is the opening of the H.R. Giger Museum at the end of the film, and here is the whole story of H.R. Giger as we go through it. And instead, it is very much like the title of the film, H.R. Giger's World. The film is essentially about... Giger's house and the people that live or visit the house and just what a microcosm this is. And then we get a little bit of the past, mostly in relation to him or to some of the objects in the house, which I found to be a very interesting way of doing this documentary. And I was glad that it wasn't one of these typical, you know, voiceover narration kind of uh, things. I, we didn't have a narrator for this. We found things out in a much more of an organic fashion, which seems very appropriate for Giger's work. So let's go ahead, take a break, and play an interview with the director of Dark Star H.R. Giger's World, Belinda Salen. My name is Belinda Salen, and I'm a filmmaker. How did you get your start in filmmaking? I um I was a political journalist. I worked for a TV magazine in Swiss Television, a political TV magazine. After that, I started making documentaries also for TV stations here in Europe. And the film Dark Star about H.R. Giger is my first feature documentary. How did you first get exposed to H.R. Giger? What was the first thing that kind of came on your radar? Well, of course, I have known Giger's art since my youth. I saw his pictures a little bit everywhere in shared flats or in comic shops and bookstores. And I think probably the the first picture I saw from him was Brain uh, Salad Surgery, the art cover he did for the band Emerson, Lake & Palmer. 
Uh, but I remember posters like Birth Machine and Lee One. And of course, I saw Alien. <laughs> I think I was traumatized when I saw it the first time. So, um, and it changed, uh, really changed my perception of the whole uh, genre of the science fiction genre, uh, fortunately. <laughs> um, and then, um, uh, of course, I, I, lost, I lost the art of HIV a little bit of my sight. Um, but uh, the very evening, I, I happened to meet Sandra Beretta. She is a life, an ex-former life companion uh, of H.R. Uh, Giger. All these images immediately came back to my mind, so I, I never really forgotten them. What is his popularity like in Switzerland? This is a difficult question because, um, of course, uh, everybody knows H.R. Uh, Giger. Everybody knows that he... Uh, won uh, an Oscar at 1980. Uh, um, so he's very, very popular, but he never gets the acknowledgement here in Switzerland from from the establishment. He never gets the acknowledgement of the art institutions. And so the, he, he was suffering about that. So he was very, very popular, but uh, without the acknowledgement. And it, it was really a pity because over the last 10 years, it began to change here over in Europe. He had a lot of uh, large solo exhibitions, um, a little bit uh, all over the place. He had solo exhibitions, large exhibitions in Paris or, or in Germany or in Austria, but he never did that in Switzerland. He never got that in Switzerland. So um, I don't know, perhaps he was too provocative. Uh, he was breaking too much taboos for the reserved uh, Swiss people. I don't know. But um, it it was nice to talk to Hans Rudiger, um just before he died, because um, I think um, it, on, I had the impression that he was no longer interested in that discussion discussion about his work. Um, and I didn't hear any bitterness in his voice when he told me they don't show my work here in Switzerland. And I thought, after I thought maybe his composure came from the fact that he knew he didn't need Zurich to enjoy worldwide success. He didn't need Switzerland to enjoy worldwide success. And I thought, who needs an exhibition in Zurich? Then you have already reached countless people all over the world with your art. How did you decide to choose him as the subject of your first documentary? Well, I think this this, this was a coincidence. It, it was this evening, I told you before, when I met Sandra Beretta, his uh, former life partner. So uh, I was immediately interested in, in the subject. And um, of course, um, it was the first meeting with H.R. Giger himself that truly made uh, my interest in, in making the film. Um, and when I, when I was entering his houses, I was completely overwhelmed by impressions. And I mean, as a journalist and a filmmaker, I had seen many different kinds of houses and flats, but I had never in my life seen anything so unusual. So crossing the threshold was like entering another world, entering another time zone, um, it was like I had entered one of H.R. Giger's work of art, uh, dark and threatening, but I didn't feel threatened. And this was, um, of course, um, because of H.R. Giger himself. He really was a really, really kind man, very charming, very humorous. So um, I was also uh, very surprised 
he he wasn't the man I expected he is. He was not a dark character. So I was interested immediately. And the um, very first time I entered his houses and I met H.R. Giger, I wanted to make this film. Yeah, tell me about that house. How big is that house? <laughs> well, the, the house is very unusual, really. Um, and it is uh, very important for the film. It is uh, quite a protagonist in the film now. I always thought it's like an organism. When I entered there, it was all the time it was very warm. Uh, Hans Rudi Vigo liked when it uh, when the heat was uh, up on the maximum. <laughs> it was very warm and um, very uh, dark. And um, yeah, it's like a protagonist in the film, living, like a living organism. And in fact, they are three houses or over the last 40 years when H.R. Giger, every time he had a little bit of money, he bought one house more. So um, uh, at the end, he had three houses, uh, but they were um, together and um, he made doors uh, between the walls. So uh, you you could um, you you didn't have to to get out for um, uh, to be in all three houses and it's it's like a labyrinth <laughs> it's it's not huge really not huge uh, but it's difficult to get the orientation in there. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like going on that train ride? Oh, it's it was cool. It was cool. I thought Hans Rudiger, it was like a little boy um, with with this train ride, and he always said, "Well, this is my um, uh, this is my way to work." Uh, I, I would say it's about eight meters. <laughs> so he had a train station in the house, and for the um, for the for the little house in the garden where he did his work, so he went to work with the train. So <laughs> it really was very funny. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it feels like the house and the objects that are in the house are almost speaking for him because he doesn't say a whole lot in the documentary. No, not at all. He he don't say a lot in the documentary and I think he was very relieved when I told him we we don't we do we don't do a lot of interviews, but he, he didn't like to talk about his work. He really didn't like to do that at all. And as you see in the film too, he is quite ill. His health is very weak. So um, the shooting uh, was um, was very special. So we we couldn't do a lot of interviews. And well, yeah, as you said, the house and the people around him are speaking for him. I love the interview that you do with the guy from Celtic Frost when he's talking about how much Hans Rudy's work and support meant to him. That is such a touching scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really touching. And Tom um, uh, is is really um, he's he's a good friend. He was a very good friend of Hans Rudy Giger, and uh, he really is touched today when he tells about uh, the relationship with Hans Rudi Giger and he he portrays um, Hans Rudi Giger very much because H.R. Giger he, he was really a kind man he was very supportive he was very interested in interested in art for all the other people around him so um, it's it's quite uh, important the quote from Tom in the film what were some of the things that you learned um, while making the film that you didn't know beforehand well, a lot of things. I didn't know the work of Hans Rudi Giger as well as I do now, so um, it's it was very surprising for me. And um, I I found that 
no matter what you think of the art of H.R. Giger, it's undeniable that he is an exceptional, exceptional artist. He is unique and unmistakable, and he had a tremendous international charisma. So I found all this because I told you before, here in Switzerland, he is not. Uh, he's not. He's famous. Everybody knows him, but he, the acknowledgement is not here. And I think uh, this is a pity. It's wrong. There's a part in the film where he goes to his museum. Was that the opening of the museum? Um, no, this is not the opening. The museum exists exists now um, uh, for uh, 15 years. So um, uh, it's not the opening. But this was a very very special scene. If you um, want to tell me that, um, tell me that. Um, I, I never thought it, it was the last time that H.R. Giger visited his museum. Uh, this was the last, last time he was there for us. And he didn't like to come the, that day because he didn't feel very well. So uh, it really took a great deal of persuasion on, on my part. And uh, in the end, he was there. He, and he only spent a short time in the museum. And he didn't want to stage anything at all but we managed him um we managed to film him in his beloved spell room for a few minutes so and it was the last time he was there in his museum with us so it's a very precious scene for me so you were there with him really close to the end of his life it sounds like absolutely uh, we we did the photo shooting with him uh five days before he died oh wow yeah, it was such a loss. Yes, yes, we really we we were shocked and we were very very sad. Um, even we knew that uh, his health is weak. Uh, we knew that, but um, I I thought a lot about that during the shooting. Um, it, it was very special, as I told you, because um, his health that meant that um, he was only available for very short periods of time. So I really had um, to consider very carefully what I wanted from him and, um, and decide which scenes I definitely wanted to shoot with him. Then we, we discussed each scene in great detail with, with the crew. Normally, I, I don't do that for documentaries, so uh, it was very special. But... Um, it was interesting, but because when H.R. Giger showed up, then uh, the, the scenes took a very documentary, very authentic feeling, uh, in my opinion, because we all knew there was only this one take, no retakes, no discussion or direction. So um, I give H.R. Giger also a lot of credit for almost always agreeing to my wishes. When somebody is so popular like with something like aliens kind of jettisoned him to you know worldwide fame did he see that as kind of the blessing or was it more of a curse that he was known for this so early in his career so i think it was both really it was both um i think it was a blessing uh, uh for him to to be so popular because he reached really uh, a lot of people all over the world with his art and he he um he always crossed the borders of uh, different genres he he made comic books he made uh, artwork uh, for for bands he he made books he made um uh, the design for for movies and so on so it it was a blessing for him but uh, it was a pity for him that he never gets the acknowledgement of the art establishment and that i know he he suffered uh, from that 
So obviously he didn't get to see the finished film. What was it like when you did the premiere for the film? Oh, it was great. It was overwhelming, really. There were a lot of emotions, deep emotions. And of course, it was, it was, um, I was happy because I did it. I, I could realize this film. I showed it. And I was very, very sad because Hans Rudiger was not there. He he died um, a few months before. So everybody of us, we, we were very sad too. So it was really um, very ambivalent. It was um, uh, quite uh, special. Do you maintain your contact with the family? Yes, a lot. Yeah, I see Carmen Giger uh, a lot. I um, uh, visit her a lot of times. I, I keep her um, informed what is going on with the film. Uh, there are a lot of festivals now. We had the Asian premiere uh, last week. Um, I, I tomorrow I uh, I go to Linz, uh, Austria, where we uh, did the shooting for the last time. He, he had his um, an exhibition there, so I um, I had a shooting with H.R. Giger there. So we made we make a premiere there. So we have there's a lot of things going on, and I keep her informed, of course. That's wonderful. I can't imagine what they're going to do with the houses, with all of the materials that he has, all those books, for for goodness sakes, those books were overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, they leave it there as it is. Um, and Carmen, she is still living there. So uh, the business, as usual, is going on. Tom is uh, working there. So uh, it is not like a museum. Tom is working. Uh, Carmen is living there. But uh, they, they don't touch a lot of things, I would say. So uh, I think they, they really like to, um, to keep it like it is. Right. Well, it's got to preserve their memories quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I know you're really busy with the documentary. Have you thought about what your next project is at all, or are you just going to kind of let that come? Well, yeah, I have a lot of things in mind, but nothing to tell yet. <laughs> <laughs> is there a website for the film? Yeah, yeah. I can send you uh, the address if you want. Uh, okay. We are also on Facebook or on Twitter, so I can send you all the information. Wonderful. Well, I'll be sure to link to those through our website and uh, spread the word as much as I can. Great, great. I appreciate that a lot. See, that wasn't too hard, right? You should have no fears of doing English interviews. You were perfect. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> so thanks to Belinda Solon for taking the time to talk to us. It was pretty funny, Rob. She was uh, very nervous about her English, and I think she speaks English better than I do. So it was... Uh, Great talking to her, and hopefully we will talk to her again one of these days. I look forward to whatever her next project is. So, any additional thoughts about H.R. Giger's world? It's just a great focused piece on artist. And if you're interested in that artist, I think it adds extra levels to your understanding. And and that's really what I got from it. Because I was, like, like a lot of folks, it's like, yeah, I know the alien design. I know these album covers. I've seen some of his art books, but I didn't know how he started. I didn't know where it came from. And, and that's always interesting. It's always interesting to sort of see what the process is. Cause I'm like, that's my thing. Like I'm a big process guy. Like I'm really interested in well, where did, where do people get these ideas? How do they develop them? What is it maybe from their youth that, um, 
helps push them in that direction instead of doing something else. I mean, the the one thing that comes up in the film was his father was a owned a drugstore. He was a chemist and wanted him to go in to basically run the family business. And he was like, you know, he's like, I really don't want to do that. I want to be an artist and trying to be an artist in that day was like, well, I, I guess you just want to starve, I guess, because that's not really a career, son. You know, so it's it, it's interesting to sort of see what it is and and what the the passions are and and what the obsessions are within someone that allows them to create a body of work that I would say is as unified as his work is, because much like I talked about before the interview, when you see Dali, you know it's Dali. When you see Giger, you know it's Giger. It's it's that that that, that vision is that strong, and that's what he does and that's what's what's interesting is to sort of peel back the layers a little bit and see what's in there if you've ever want to see a grown tattooed very gruff looking man cry hr Grieger's world is for you the scene of the guy getting uh his book signed at Giger's museum and him just bursting out into tears afterwards one of the most touching scenes that I've seen in a long time. And it just shows that the value that people create when they create a vision, when they create an idea, um, it can be that powerful for people, you know, music, film, art in general. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's not to be taken lightly. Definitely not. All right. HR Giger's world Go find out about it at darkstar-movie.com. According to the website, it will be in theaters May 15th, 2015. It's coming to VOD August 18th, 2015, and it is coming to DVD. They still make DVDs, apparently, on September 1st, 2015. Definitely one to pick up and put in your library. Hey, that's a, that's a good day, that September 1st. I'll tell you why. Do tell. Because you could go out to the store and you can buy two things to put into your library. One, this movie and my book comes out September 1st. How do you like that? Holy shit. Pure coincidence. Wow. You and H.R. Giger all in one foul swoop. I can die now. It's over.
enjoy this show and want more people to know about it head on over to itunes leave a comment and rate it five stars make sure you like and share us on facebook and don't forget to follow us on twitter just search for christopher media thank you in advance for supporting christopher media by clicking on the paypal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support christophermedia.net most importantly we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you christopher media could not exist without your support thank you for visiting christophermedia.net and thank you for listening Christopher Media. Let's make some noise.